Welcome everyone to Popcorn Peeps episode 13, the podcast in which we venture through the Hollywood Reporter's top 100 films of all time and give our thoughts along the way. My name is Jordan Costa, and in this episode we will be discussing Slumdog Millionaire, a multi-academy award-winning film based off the Indian novel titled Q&A, written by Vikas Swaram. The film was directed by Danny Boyle and released in 2008. The film stars Dev Patel, Freda Pinto, Madhur Mittal, Anil Kapoor, and Irfan Khan. I am joined by game show enthusiast Sarah Alexander. Hey, Jordan! I am joined by blind singer Craig Moore. The answer, who is the most handsome person in this chat? <laughs> and slumlord Chris McMullen. Uh, can I use a lifeline? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, folks, what did you guys think of Slumdog Millionaire? Yeah, it was really good. That was a good movie. Holy. I liked it. Sarah, what do you think? Thumbs up, thumbs down? I'm giving it a mediocre. I found it got very repetitive very quickly. A sideways thumb. You're wrong, but uh, Chris, how do you feel? Yeah. Wow, really? Really? I thought this movie was tremendous. I thought it was awesome. This is one of the only films on the list where I was not distracted or zoned out for a single second of the entire run, and it was two hours long, so I mean, that's a testament to how good a job it did. What do you guys want to do? You want to jump into characters first? Sure, let's talk about characters. Yeah, sure. What do you guys think about our lead Jamal? I thought he was great. Surprising to see how young he looked from then and when you see him now, but I thought for his first movie, this was a great first endeavor for him. This was his first movie? I think so. That's awesome. I thought he did a really good job. I like that he's honest, especially in the face of adversity. He's just this innocent dude who gets dealt L's over and over and over again, loses his mom. He gets stuck in this child trafficking ring and he's continuously separated from Lakata. But after all of that, you can't help but root for him, right? You're just on board. His innocence and his naivety at some points is charming. And I was excited to see him go through this journey and I was excited to root for him. Yeah, he's a good man in a bad situation over and over and over again. It made him a very good character to try and empathize with and identify with for those of us who aren't uh, sociopaths, I guess. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, that's why Chris didn't like him. Oh, that... Do you not like him, Chris? What were your thoughts? I just was lukewarm. Like, he was fine. I think if you're gonna argue that Jamal is a bad character, you would use Salim to kind of prove that point. Jamal doesn't really feel like he's human. He feels very archetypal, and given such adversity and to come out so squeaky clean feels a little unnatural. I feel like Salim's development and the way he presents himself and develops throughout the story is a lot more realistic. It's easy just to say he's an asshole, a little shit with a superiority complex, but if your role model is Manam, the hustler and he's the one teaching you how to live and how to survive it's not surprising that he would end up being such a monster and also considering he considers himself responsible for his little brother he says at one point i'm the elder of the family now we do what i say it certainly comes off as he's the big brother and he feels like he's responsible for what's going on and he's willing to do every dirty trick and every horrible act it takes to keep him and his brother safe I like Salim. He had moxie. I agree. I found Jamal's storyline very predictable. And as I said earlier, repetitive. But I really enjoyed Salim's storyline. And I don't know if I would have wanted a different ending for him. I felt like what happened fit. Did you feel like he was able to redeem himself in the end? Or was it just not enough? I think he did. Pointless death. I think he did what he could. As soon as he helped the girl escape, he knew what was going to happen to him. He knew he was dead. And his only option was get in a tub full of money so he was also a millionaire <laughs> and then shoot the boss who came in first. I mean, that was artistic. What do you want, though? Do you want him to go James Bond style, throwing grenades and throwing knives from the kitchen and kill all the gangsters and then get in a Ferrari and drive his brother and his brother's girlfriend to freedom and happiness with all their money? And now they go to America and everybody 
everybody's happy. Like, come on. Yeah, that's not believable. We all know James Bond drives an Aston Martin. No, I want him to. I want him to walk up behind the head gangster, blow his brains out over all the other people at the table, and then take out a couple more guys. The chance he was taking isn't that kind of what happened anyway. What's the symbolism with the money in the tub? I, that was lost on me. I was just like, why is he doing this? Because he's a millionaire too. So throughout the movie, Salim's willing to do anything for money. He sells his brother's autographed picture. He steals from people. He gets his brother in all kinds of trouble just for a couple of bucks. And Jamal didn't care about money at all. Jamal was just, you know, he was on Who Wants to Be a Millionaire because he was hoping his girlfriend would see him. So Salim died for money. His last act, he frees the girl, swims in a bunch of money, and dies in his pursuit of riches. And Jamal wasn't pursuing riches, and it was his unintentional pursuit of riches that actually got him what he wanted. I thought he was going to set it on fire or do something to destroy the money first. And then when he just got in the bath with it, I thought, oh, okay. Like, they're just going to have to peel it off his body. Yeah. Who's that guy from uh, Looney Tunes who dives into the pit yeah. of money? Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck, McDuck and swims in it. <laughs> that's, that's what we should say. He died after Scrooge McDucking himself into a bathtub of money. That's a good way to go, man. It's not very realistic, right? To pour all the money in a bathtub and then lay there and let people to shoot you to death but it was certainly poetic i didn't like it it was a little too nail on the head for me i didn't think it was subtle enough to be interesting or clever it just seemed kind of like too in your face and danny boyle is better than that i did think well watching him was really frustrating salim was multi-dimensional enough to be really interesting and despite the fact that he was the root of a lot of the issues jamal faced probably one of the better characters in the entire film so two thumbs up for me i don't think he redeemed himself in the end though i thought he did what he could to make amends but he he had still caused so much trouble for his brother that, well, I think he was trying, he didn't succeed, which is fine. I mean, sometimes you can't redeem yourself, but I appreciate that he tried, and I thought that was a good ending for his character. I felt the same way, Jordan. I didn't feel like he redeemed himself, but I felt like he did what he could with the power he had available to him at the time. What about Latika? Did you guys have any attachment to her? No. None. This was a snooze fest for me. Gorgeous, but the storyline, the romance, I was not into. I mean, I get that you have this relationship ship through your shared trauma as children but I don't know if that is enough to keep searching this person out and then rolling the dice and hoping what if they hate each other after they get to <laughs> like, you don't know you haven't spent more than a day with this person in 20 years hold on wait a second what was your opinion of the Braveheart relationship because I feel like they had way more connection than the Braveheart no <sighs> no I was actually curious to see where you would land on this Chris because I didn't think that this was enough for me they were together for a long time through thick and thin they weren't together for a long time they were together till they were like six and then again for one day when they were 12 and then 20 years later shared trauma will bind people together a lot though and these two individuals definitely shared some trauma so is it gonna be a healthy relationship <laughs> probably not not without a lot of therapy but <laughs> good news is john mall can afford therapy now. <laughs> Not really. Do you guys know how much that I did the conversion? Do you know how much 20 million rupees works out to? Isn't it like 200,000 US or something like that? It's, yeah, it's, uh, I didn't do the conversion back, but it is $345,000 Canadian. Okay, so, but how, how far does that go in India at the time? The show should be called Who Wants to Be a Fraudster because that is not a million dollars. Oh, that definitely goes farther. Like it's a life-changing amount, but it's not, I don't think it's a set for life amount. 
So if it goes three times further in India, you're effectively a millionaire, a Canadian millionaire. So when I was writing down the list of characters, I almost forgot about Latika entirely, simply because she adds so little of value to the story other than being a MacGuffin for Jamal to chase after. Her role is important, but her as a person and a personality is so lackluster and flat. I don't even think it's the actress's fault either. The script really doesn't give her an opportunity to shine. I think it's her fault. She is as important to that movie as Princess Toadstool is to the first Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> Absolutely. I don't get that reference. <laughs> no, Princess Peach. She has no personality. She's just there for Mario to go catch. Totally agree, Craig. Let's switch gears a little bit and go into one of my favorite characters, Kumar or Indian Regis Philbin. Did you guys know that Regis died last year? Yeah. yeah, I did know that. I did not know that. Probably don't care. Oh, I had fond memories of watching Regis when I was younger. Yeah, me too. And I'd watch live with Regis St. Kelly with my Nana. Oh, that's sweet. I loved him. For some reason, he felt like a character that would fit right in with the Hunger Games. He just had that whole capital vibe. He was very flamboyant. He had the big diamond earring. The sparkly suit. Oh, he was sleazy. He was charismatic. He was always looking out for Numero Uno. He had this great banter with Jamal. He banter? He was a classist asshole. There weren't very many good, memorable characters in this movie. There weren't there that many characters in this movie, but there weren't very many big memorable ones. He is, I would say, one of two. Between him and Salim, they're the two best characters. Yes. Best written, best portrayed, best scripted characters in the movie. I agree. I love the scene in the bathroom where he tries to feed him the wrong answer and Jamal calls him on his bullshit and just sees right through him and knows that he's a scummy piece of shit and then picks the other one just blindly. That was a great moment. Probably one of the more memorable moments of the film. Jamal has seen enough scummy pieces of shit in his life life to recognize one when he sees one yeah that was like the only thing that was like believable is that he's like all the other things like colt 45 uh, all the different things that he learned through his life being able to detect a lying scumbag is probably the only thing that is, was believable as having that information so let's talk a little bit more about the storyline itself so we're cutting back and forth between present day in the studio and jamal's memories and while it seems like jumping around in time is an essential part of being on this top 100 <laughs> list i'm still not quite <laughs> sick of it i really enjoyed the structure yeah despite the fact that we've been going through so many of these time jump movies what did you guys think did you think it was a good story it was a good story the jumping back and forth and through time was done not even nearly as well as it was done in memento because it's impossible to do it as well as it was done in memento i don't know i think this one contends i love that the flashbacks are very purposeful and they're all based on the questions that just seems like such a brilliant structure i liked it at the beginning then i got irritated with it after about number two That's that's how I was too. It, no. it got repetitive and it got predictable. Whereas Memento, I was like, what's going to happen? Memento was done so well. And I think that's what I kept comparing this to. And this is what I want this to be. And it just didn't work out that way. Each flashback was so intense and so brutal that like whenever we would switch to it, I would be like, okay, this is exciting. Like, what are we going to see next? What is the next gross, fucked up, terrible thing that's going to happen to these poor kids? The hot take, the whole millionaire part, the game show is unnecessary. Yeah, I felt like those portions of the movie were way too long and it actually mm -hmm. kind of broke up the story i completely disagree too much for me to the point when by the time they got back i was like oh my god finally we can get back to watching a damn movie mm -hmm. no speaking of princess toadstool craig this is peach's castle if we're playing mario 64 each memory is a photo that we're jumping into it's the hub i never played that one it's the hub that everything revolves around it's what everything can tie back to it astounds me that your partner is such a wonderful person and I don't understand how you... <laughs> and I'm me? <laughs> yeah. 
Like, Look, I don't think it was done poorly. Let me be clear. I thought it was good. I just didn't think it was great. It was a serviceable function to be able to tell us the story. Yes. You're wrong. This was so cool. And so many people have such a strong attachment to Who Wants to Be a Millionaire that rooting it with something so familiar and so nostalgic, I think, amplified everything. It was a great tool. And I think if they didn't use Who Wants to Be a Millionaire, but instead made an arbitrary imaginary game show within this universe, it wouldn't have had that effect. But since it had that IP and all those recognizable graphics and sounds, that's what made it really cool and novel. It was a commercial for a shitty show. Jordan, half of it wasn't even done during the, the game show. It was be- done being interrogated by the police. And those scenes were hardcore and they were good. Yeah, but I, 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 yeah. he had a device that let him tell this really interesting story. I think the device was too heavy handed. You could have done that. Maybe it was the thing that set it apart that, oh, it, the, the framework is this, you know, how he answered these 10-ish questions. But like, it could have been an interrogation. It could have been evidence. It could have been anything other than a branded show that we know that people know. I think part of it is, I think that the show Who Wants to Be a Millionaire is stupid. Not only are you rambling, but you're wrong. No, I like the show. We're fundamentally opposed on I this like one. I'm not who changing wants to my be mind. a millionaire. I like show. No, I don't. So what are some of your favorite scenes from the film, whether they be set in present day or flashbacks? What ones spoke to you in particular? Uh, I can go first. One of my most memorable scenes is everything with Mammon, the child slave leader. The moment he gets on screen and comes out with those two bottles of ice cold Coca-Cola on that hot day, mm-hmm. you know that this man is up Bad to no news. good. And he has this smirk on his face and the kids' eyes light up. They're calling him a saint. They're like, oh, we're saved, we're saved. And you know immediately that this man means trouble. And just watching these kids be led like lambs to slaughter is so heartbreaking. The whole scene was really well done. The way the director plays with your emotions and leads the kids in and juxtaposes your anxiety with their optimism. It's just a wild ride. The first time I saw this movie, I thought he was going to be like Fagin from uh, Oliver Twist. He was just a very, very brutal version of Fagin from Oliver Twist. Yes. Good point. Little Dickensian reference, loving it. I will say though, watching Mammon die was so satisfying. And that sounds really fucked up to say. Especially from you. After you watch what he's done to these poor children, watching him meet his end by uh, Salim's hand was super satisfying. Yeah, agree. It was also a big turning point for Salim. Oh, absolutely. That's what put him on the mercenary path. He had power for the first time in his life and he never wanted to let go of it. And he loved it. I do like how he just went right in. Like he knew exactly what to do next. So how about you guys? Any scenes particularly stand out as great or any scenes that you thought were really bad or flashbacks you thought were hard to connect with? So the one scene that I think is always going to stick out in my mind will be the one when the, I believe it's the Hindus start attacking the Muslims and they, you know, they beat his mom in, in the head and she, she dies. She's floating face down. That it was such a brutal, mm-hmm. brutal scene that I'm, I don't think I'm ever going to forget it. So one of my major issues with me personally, not with the film, is that I have such a small understanding of what Indian culture is like, Indian religion, how the society works so a lot of the issues like that I felt like I would have really appreciated more insight and if anything this film has made me more interested in learning about India and seeing kind of what from the film was accurate what was dramatized and kind of just learning more about the culture and I thought that was really cool yeah the the whole Muslim Hindu thing is very real oh I'm not saying it's not real but I think it inspired me to learn (laughs) more about what's actually happening between the different social classes and religious classes in the country which is not common most times I finish a movie I'm like cool I move on but this one actually made me want to go and put in some homework time 
Yeah, I remember towards about the middle of the movie, I was thinking, man, if this is actually what India is like, India sucks. Yeah. But I don't know if it is. <laughs> that was what I put. I have a note here. Is life really so unvalued in India? Like he took a loaf, a piece of bread off the train. I think that to get to my scene, right? The, the one that really stuck out to me is like the guy knocked him off a train because he stole a piece of naan. Yeah. Like, yes, naan is great. Is it worth killing two children for? Probably not. Rarely. Rarely. <laughs> Rarely. <laughs> Only on occasion. So I did look into it a little bit and the film was really well received in the West, but some of the major criticism came from India saying that the film perpetuated negative stereotypes that Westerners have towards India and it basically sold India as poverty porn to ignorant Americans. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. I kind of sensed that while I was watching it. I was like, there's no way that this is very accurate. It lives up with every other, I feel like, Western movie I've seen that goes to India at some point. So it's not showing me anything new about the culture. It's like, oh, it's perpetuating this shitty culture. So I wonder if it would have been an Indian director or more of an Indian-based movie, how it would have come out rather than these white people going in to film this story. Yeah. Do you know what other things Danny Boyle has done? Did he do Snatch? No, that's Guy, that's Guy Ritchie. Train spotting, and uh, it was on the tip of my tongue, and then it went away. Let's see. Oh, 28 Days Later. So he's. I've never seen that. Oh my God, what's going on? 28 Days Later is good. It's amazing. So you've seen Train Spotting, you know how he glamorizes that poverty. I think he kind of was doing that, but it came out as. Like, it seemed like their life was neat, even though it was awful in Slumdog Millionaire, but it really seemed like maybe we shouldn't have had a white guy direct this movie because it, it comes off as a little uh, cartoonish or yeah or oversimplified yeah. i think as a pure piece of entertainment it is bloody brilliant but the cost of that is hyping things up making things seem worse than they are so well it is fun as a popcorn munching film i do think it is important not to base your whole understanding of india off of what we're seeing totally and unfortunately, people will. One of the other um, cool parts of the story that I really liked was uh, that a good portion of the film was in Hindi and it bounced back and forth between English and Hindi. I thought that was really cool. Apparently, when the film was being made, the entirety of the script was in English. But one of the casting directors said that this might feel a little inauthentic and suggested translating a section of the lines. And uh, Danny Boyle liked it so much that he requested that she translate 30% of the film. But he knew this wasn't going to get approved by the production company. So he lied and said he was only going to translate 10% of it and then did a whole third of the movie and shipped it and it did super well but it seems crazy to me how many of these directors lie to get what they want from their production companies well yeah it just seems like no director is out there to tell the truth well they're artists and the suits are the suits man Watch what happens when you let a production company run away and not listen to the director, though, and that's how you get the uh, Star Wars sequels. Well, sometimes you have to strike a balance. For example, Tetsuya Nomura was the director for Final Fantasy XV, and they just let him do whatever he wanted because he's this acclaimed director, and the game never got finished in 12 years, and so they had to boot him out, send someone else in there, and they finished it two years later. These directors just go wild. It's a passion project for them, and they're less concerned about the logistics of it, but it's, it's interesting to see how that plays out in Hollywood, too. This is very topical. Have you watched the new version of Justice League? No, not yet. Came out two days ago. Yeah. I will watch it. Yeah, I, took, I will never watch it. But it's got stuff for you. There's big burly men. It's not enough, Chris. I like a good storyline. <laughs> no, that's the thing. You need to you need to watch this one. It is so much better. We had to watch it in two parts because it's four hours long. But... Oh, my oh my gosh. That's no. going to be on this yeah, list then. Right. Surprised <laughs> we haven't already watched it. 
I know what you mean, though, Chris. There certainly is a different mindset between what the director wants and what the studio wants. The language thing, I guess, was my thought. And I feel bad because I don't like I don't know about the English language in India. I'm assuming it's not the prevalent language and who wants to be a millionaire probably wouldn't have been in English either. But you feel bad knowing that if this movie was done entirely in Hindi, it wouldn't have been the success that it was. No. And it probably wouldn't have been made or it would have made it big in the West. So that's a little sad to see like they had to make it English for that to happen. But I think that's something that's slowly changing, like with Parasite winning last year, like these foreign language films are doing better and better. International directors are finally receiving more credit than I think they've ever gotten in the last couple of years. And that's really exciting to see. I just wish people in the West would get over subtitles and grow up yeah. because there's so many fantastic foreign films out there that people would love if they just learned how to read. Just need more people who know how to read. That's <laughs> the problem. We're doing a movie set in India and only 30% of it can be in the language spoken there. Great. That's realistic. I will make a quick comment, though. A lot of English is spoken in India, and a lot of the schools teach English primarily. Yeah, that checks out. Because it's an English colony. It's not uncommon, but it's not going to be 60-30, right? No. Or 60-40. Math is hard. See, I can read, but I can't do math. Sounded good to me. (laughs) 60-30. So what did you guys think about the ending and the fact that Jamal wins the grand prize? Predictable. I thought it would have been a better story if he got it wrong. Yes. That would be Rocky and it would be better. This is like if Rocky beat Apollo Creed. I thought it was wild that the director let him win because the rest of this film, the tone is darker than Banta Black. This shit is fucked up. People are getting their eyes melted. These kids are getting fucking beaten. People are getting shot. And then you have this fairy tale ending. I thought it would be an amazing way to wrap up the story and more tonally consistent to have him lose, but his prize be his personal goal to meet and reconnect with Latika. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. The way Celine died was all for the money you know bathing in the cash and then dying if jamal didn't get the money but still got to be with latika then it would have been beautiful rhyming poetry right it would have been opposite sides like jamal got what he wanted and it wasn't the money salim got what he wanted and it was the money and you saw how it ended for each of them it would have been a perfect ending but they fucked it up Yep. The ending actually irked me. That was my least favorite part of the entire film. It just felt so out of the blue. You build up an entire story on just terrible, terrible things happening to these people. And then just to be like, but it's okay. Everybody wins in the end. Enjoy. Here's your apparently 300,000 Canadian dollars. Sorry, you're not a millionaire, but enjoy. (laughs) True story or not true story? Totally fiction? I believe it's all fiction. Totally fiction. Okay, cool. I will make one comment because this is based off a book, right? Written by an Indian author. And a lot of Indian literature and storytelling is built on hope and never losing hope. And so this ending is actually pretty consistent Mm. with a lot of Bollywood and a lot of storytelling in the region. And so maybe that's why it was chosen to be done that way. But as someone who doesn't really connect with those types of stories, I like a dark story. And I think a lot of Western media is focused on darker themes, especially as of late, which is why it felt so weird, but I guess understandable given that it was paying homage to Indian literature and stories. There was one important part that Brie asked me to bring up for everybody just to let all the listeners know that there actually doesn't seem to have been a Blanche in this movie. <gasps> it might be right. one without a Blanche. Do we even have any listeners that are still here from episode two? That's the real question. We have at least two. And one of them's me. <laughs> Let's talk about the music. We cannot finish a discussion about Slumdog Millionaire without talking about how hard this soundtrack slaps. The music was done by A.R. Rahman. 
soundtrack is filled with diversity, slow beats, high impact, high tempo pieces, and it's back and forth, but it's so consistent. It weaves in the sitar. It just feels like it fits perfectly. Yeah, it was a great soundtrack. I have no complaints at all. It was beautiful. This is the first one that I actually was like, oh shit, that's good. Like it stuck out to me. The only critique I would have is I didn't love the MIA song, Paper Planes in the Middle. Didn't feel right to me. Maybe at the time when it was a new song, it would have been like, ooh, sick. But now I'm like, you're talking about drug dealing and these kids are living on a train. (laughs) Like I'm not relating the two together, except it mentions the word train. My whole thing about the soundtrack is you got to have a couple bangers that don't need the movie to stand on their own. They got to be able to go on your Spotify playlist and still slap. And this 100% happens with this film. 90% of these tracks are amazing and completely can stand on their own. Again, I highly recommend checking out Mausum and Escape from the OST. It is by far my favorite piece. It's high tempo, does a lot of cool audio mixing, switching back and forth between left and right ear, and it totally worth checking out. Any comments about the soundtrack, Chris? Nah. Nah. Yeah. Do you even like music, Chris? I love music. It's just not, it's, I have different tastes in music. That's all. This had literally everything. You had pop with M.I.A. You had a lot of that instrumental. Who's M.I.A.? The marquee song for this film. Yeah, I just don't, it's not the music I listen to. You damn kids in your hip hop. I'm never going to listen to this music from the movie again either, but I feel like in the movie, it was good and it conveyed a certain feeling. I don't disagree. It was fine. It conveyed emotion, but I'm not going to go put it on my YouTube music playlist. Jordan's always... No, you should. Jordan's always repping Spotify. Yeah, I got to tell you, I'm not going to go, you know, search for this soundtrack and and listen to it while I'm working or anything. But it was good in the movie. I liked it. You guys are not giving the soundtrack the respect it deserves. That's deplorable. (laughs) Whatever. All right, folks, we're going to rank this film amongst the films we have seen thus far. If you're following along on YouTube, you can check the top of the description to see where we've ranked the films up until this point. Sarah, where are you going to put Slumdog Millionaire? I am going to put it in sixth place below Braveheart and above Bonnie and Clyde. That's pretty low. I told you I thought it was mediocre. I'm giving it a higher rating than Bonnie and Clyde and then Close Encounters because I thought that the story was more important. But again, I found it predictable. There was nothing here that really surprised me. And I don't know if it'll be that memorable. Even if it was predictable, it was just so damn exciting. So stylish. I don't find predictability exciting. She's allowed to rank it wherever she wants. Jordan you're not uh, you can't sit here and tell her she's I'm personally offended oh just wait Jordan (laughs) there's more (laughs) we agreed one time and now it's gone (laughs) (laughs) yeah I'm gonna stick this sucker right in fourth place between up and reservoir dogs also incorrect where are you Chris where are you gonna slap it no 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 you go next this film number two oh my god I almost put it number one I almost put it number one you've lost your mind here's the thing though music is so important to me and i feel like this soundtrack is so good that this film climbed at least one or two spots just based on having sick beats Mm. it overcomes the poor storytelling and the bad ending it's not poor storytelling it's not bad storytelling only two memorable characters you won't need a ton of good characters if the characters you do have are still really good quality over quantity two of five (laughs) yeah but a sick soundtrack oh my god this is awful the storytelling and the flashbacks and the way they're cut together and how it revolves around around this cool marquee who wants to be a millionaire. It was just exciting and it felt unique and novel. You need to get back the to civilization, time, my friend. And then we were two hours and in. And then I beat Super Mario eight more times and it wasn't fun anymore. This is number two. Chris, where are you going to put it? <laughs> is it worse than Deer Hunter? No, it's not worse than Deer Hunter. <laughs> 
It's just barely better than Braveheart at number nine. Oh. I went down my list. I'm like, I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I'm better than that. I did the same thing. Uh, I just went down my list and went, it's not as good as Memento. Not as good as Close Encounters. It's not as good as the Reservoir Dogs. Eh, it's probably better than up. For a minute, I almost put it at number one. Oh, but I you'd had be to insane. Myself, oh, no. Wow. You'd be a lunatic to do that. People's tastes are so interesting. And Jordan doesn't have any. No, I know. Some people need to acquire some. <laughs> no, Jordan. Jordan has, Jordan has his own special Jordan taste, and he can just, like... Does it taste like dog shit? No, I don't know. <laughs> no, like... Is that what you're trying to tell me, Chris? No, no, you you have, you can justify your reasoning, but it's just not, mm. your your criteria is so different than others. Like, I, like if I'm on, if I'm doing a movie ranking, I rank it on the quality of the movie, not a soundtrack. But for you, soundtrack is super important. The soundtrack hyped up every single scene. Every scene was like a fucking ride because of this soundtrack. If you took the soundtrack out of it, where would you put it? Uh, it would fall probably two spots. I'm going to rank every silent film at the bottom. Just oh, based on the soundtrack is garbage. Oh my God. Sound garbage soundtrack. Don't recommend. <laughs> Chris, what are we watching in Popcorn Peeps episode 14? This is one that I personally am very excited about, as many as well as many of our listeners. Lord of the Rings, Return of the King. The king shall return, and it will be glorious! Are we watching like the 14-hour extended edition one? No, theatrical version only. Thank Christ. But I am going to watch all three in preparation, so I can critique how it concludes the epic saga. Are you going to watch all three now, and then all three again when we do the other one? Mm -mm. Nope, you got to, okay, I would, sorry Sarah, I didn't mean to cut you off. You got to watch it by itself. Yeah. It's on the, it's on the list. No. It's on the list in an order. You have to rank it standalone. How this film wraps up the existing structure is important. Then they should have put Lord of the Rings saga on this list, not Lord of the Rings Return of the King on this list. They should have. They have two of the three. We're going to have to discuss this and come to some sort of a vote. We might need to get an impartial third party because if we don't, we're going to end up reviewing. Travis, get Travis in. That's not impartial. We're going to end up reviewing different experiences. What monkey brain, smooth brain, (laughs) poo flinging animal will only watch Lord of the Rings Return of the King? The point is that we need to evaluate Return of the King based on Return of the King and Return of the King alone. No, we evaluate what it adds to the existing structure. I side with Jordan. If all three of them were on the list, then I would say watch them in order. But if they're not even ranking the middle one as being worthy of the list then I don't think you should be watching it and using it as a way. It, that's like watching, like we're, we're saying, we're watching the theatrical cut, right? You, if you watch number two, you're watching the super extended version that gives you feels. But in- then you can't talk about how it's wrapping up the story because you don't really have the story. Chris, over the course of your life, you've had a million bad takes. This is by far the worst. <laughs> I am personally offended by your sheer ignorance. I don't even think you're giving his opinion the credit of thinking about it, though. Like, you're, you're- <laughs> Just, you're, no, seriously, I think you're just, you're so in the mud that you've made your decision on how you want to do it. You're not actually stopping to think about the point. Why would I give something a second thought when my first thought is perfect? Well, thanks for agreeing with me, I guess. <laughs> Tell me this. <laughs> 
Craig is gonna watch whatever you want to watch and show up in two weeks to record and we'll just battle. It'll be fine. I'm really looking forward to it. No pressure to do anything. Just show up and we'll just battle. That's fair. I think the only thing is we all watch the same version of the movie. Yeah. We want to put it in. Yeah, absolutely. Frame it in its own context by cheating and watching a middle movie. That's fine. Everyone will know that Chris's and my rankings will be the only real rankings because we're actually ranking a single film, not a six-hour experience. Mr. I'm Missing Two Films is going to claim that he has the only real (laughs) ranking. This is heated before we've even seen the movie. All right, Chris, where can our audience check out Lord of the Rings Return of the King for the next episode? You're going to have to pay for it, and you can pay for it on Apple TV, Google Pay, Microsoft, YouTube. Google Pay? Did I say Google? Oh, Google Pay, Google Play. All right. Thank you very much, Chris. We would also like to extend a special thank you to our Patreon supporters, Travis Laporte, Jim Wamsley, Frank Costa, and Ryan Saarinen. If you would like to support the show, there is a link at the top of the YouTube description. Your support is never required, but always appreciated. But until next time, thank you so much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye, everybody. Thank you. Bye. Bye. I would say that Salem, his brother, is a better reflection of a real person. Salim, right? Yeah. No, no, it's definitely Salem, like the Salem, like the witch uh, witch trials. Yeah. No, Salim, Salim. Sabrina, Salim. You want to try again, Jordan? No.